going, boys and girls? Is. Welcome to another episode of Tell Me Talk. My name is Juan. This is my trickle player, Anthony. This is a judo podcast for judo players by two judo players. So, Anthony, I know how you've been doing, but there's some stuff we forgot about talking in the last episode about your little uh, vision quest of grappling going up north. So, uh, there was one joke thing I wanted to talk about, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, I guess it's mandatory that all Chinese men, when they go up north, when they go to Seattle, you have to go see Bruce Lee's grave. I think because that's every, something you guys every, made up. <laughs> no, because every every Chinese guy I know pretty much that has gone up to Seattle always comes back with a picture of Bruce Lee's grave. They always got that photo of like them bowing. They got the hands together, praying and stuff. Oh, thank you, Master Lee. And like, thank you, Mr. Brandon. I'll go in crow makeup personally because I love that movie. Everyone I know, Juan loves a crow. All right. <laughs> the original OGs. <laughs> so I'll be honest. I didn't even know he was buried in Seattle. You didn't know like, that? I didn't know that. So it was, um, I was at a hotel. Remember I told you I was so sorry I couldn't move? Uh-huh. That I was in a hotel laying on my bed scrolling through Instagram. And um, there's a guy that I follow. And I think he's also one of our listeners. Um, he's the head instructor of, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, Kogayon Academy in Virginia. Um, he's a BJJ black belt and a judo black belt. I've been actually... Um, want to go train with him when next time I'm in town. Cause my wife's family is there. Um, mm-hmm. his technique is really good. I want to train with him, but his name is Victor Vasile. I think mm-hmm. it was. And anyway, I saw his Instagram post posting a picture of him in, um, at the Bruce Lee's grave. And then I looked at the location. I'm like, Oh, it's in Seattle. And then I was like, Oh, cool. I'll, I'll head there next week when I'm in Seattle. So that's how I found <laughs> out. Um, uh-huh. I didn't know it was there. And then when I mentioned it to the guy I was traveling, Travis, and also my friend up in Seattle, she's like, I lived here. I never been there. So she's Asian. She's Chinese. Uh-huh. So I'm See, like, all right, let's do this. You, it's mandatory. You must go visit Bruce Lee and Brandon Lee's grave. I don't know if it's mandatory. No one ever told me that. <laughs> you didn't I get the memo? Was, I thought he was buried in California. I mean, because he lived here, right? So, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he went up right. to school. He went to school up in um, UW, University of Washington. Yeah. That's where he got his philosophy degree. And when he first came to when he first came to U.S., I believe is that he went up there first, stayed with family, got his degree up there, met his wife up there and all that. And then that's when they moved to Oakland and they moved to L.A. And after that, and then they moved to Hong Kong. And I'm not going to get all into his stuff. Yeah. So much of a martial art nerd I am about this shit. Yeah, but the, the funny thing is after I realized that, I thought he posted the video, uh, the picture from like a previous trip. But um, I posted a picture of me at Henzo Gracie Portland, and then he was like, "I was there last night." And then I was, I was like, "Oh wait, no, did he say last night?" He said in the morning. He was there in the morning. That was hungover. He was. Like, I was there in the morning. I was like, "Well, I was there last night, and I couldn't wake up for the morning <laughs> class. Plus, it was a no gi class, so I've never done no gi before. So we just missed each other. <laughs> he he was up in Seattle, and he came down to Portland, and we just like." just miss each other as I was leaving up to go to Seattle. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. I'll be, I'll be there sometime next year, probably to visit his club. So there's another funny thing about the grave. Now this is what my friend told me when to go visit it. Another Chinese guy that went to go visit the grave is that there's a bench right in front of their graves. And it, everyone thinks that's like a reflecting bench. Like you sit there, you look at the grave, you pray. It's a nice, oh, I, if Lee. I remember correctly, it's a marble stone grave. I actually have a picture. Yeah. I think it was marble. Okay. But it's a, it's a nice bench right here and stuff. It's, it's very nice. But what I was told is that it's actually for the grave in front of Bruce Lee's grave. That's oh, it looks them. like it's, it looks like it's just cement. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's actually for the family next to him or the family in front of him, behind him, whatever how it's set up there. Uh, but people use it for Bruce. Now you told me that when we're talking when we talk about this, you said, "Oh no, no, it has his daughter and his wife's name on it." So I think it's their bench. So this this is why it says, "Husband uh, and father, son and brother." You are always with us. And then Linda and Shannon, which is mm-hmm. wife and daughter. And yeah. so I don't know what, what it's maybe. Um, how do I say this? Him and Brandon Lee's grave is like um, kind of like cornered off with a fence with, with like a little balcony fence area. And then the bench is part of that fenced off area. Okay. And then behind the behind the fence, there's like a wall of someone else's grave. No, is it a wall? Let me see. Okay, behind the bench is another is another person's grave. Right behind uh-huh. the bench, like uh, I don't know if you can see it here. 
Uh, <laughs> no, like it's an invisible sky to see the yeah. background right no, now. No, I'm sure you can Google pictures, right? Like yeah. literally back to back next to someone's grave. So that's uh-huh. probably why people thought it was someone else's. But there's like a the the balcony fence area has mm. this like little walkway to accommodate people lining up to go watch his grave, basically. And I actually was there, was there a line? Was there like a lot of people there waiting? No, there wasn't a lot. Minutes? There was like there was like two or three families there and then we just like waited till they left and then the next group goes in like we just kind of had our own thing what was annoying uh-huh. though is the it's a cemetery so the parking is there's no parking the yeah you have to pull off to the side of the the, the graves basically and then you if everyone's anyone's ever uh-huh. been to a cemetery you know it's kind of narrow so people can't walk that extra don't want to walk that extra few steps so they park they all park like right next to the grave mm-hmm. and one when you take the picture it kind of ruins the picture of the graves because it's like cars behind the graves basically uh-huh. and two it kind of blocks traffic for anyone else that's coming or trying to leave like i had to do like mm-hmm. a 20 point turn to get out because someone parked like right at the exit of the roundabout so mm-hmm. if you visit just be wary of whether you're blocking people's en- entry and exit and don't park like right behind the graves. just like park a little further down where the road's a little wider so people can actually pass through this is what i recommend you don't want to be that guy so we're all martial artists we can walk a few feet come on people yeah. come on all right so another thing we forgot to talk about that i thought was really cool was that uh, we talked about how other martial arts play music while they practice I mean, other other clubs play. well some other, other clubs yeah yeah, well, we were also talking about how the Japanese team is starting to play yeah. music, but you, the one of the judo clubs you visited, I can't remember which one you said, you'll say right now. It was Port, uh, Portland, well, not Portland Judo, Bridgetown Judo. Bridgetown Judo plays music during the practice. Now, is it during, like, they still explain that, is it like during warm-ups, randori the entire time? So, I think it's during randori and then during drills, like when they say, oh, do Uchikomi, it's like Uchikomi line, or basically to turn down the volume in between the instructions. Mm-hmm. when they're instructing but then when we're off to go drill they turn volume back up mm-hmm. so we were we were playing music while we were training and that's actually pretty fun um maybe because i'm used to focusing that i don't at least i don't think because one of the things we talked about in that episode about talking about training with music in the background was that i'm afraid of going to the beat you know because yeah. when i did muay thai that's what i did like say uh, uh it's like tai bo you know like uh, uh, <laughs> everybody's like, everyone's going to that beat yeah so i kind of i kind of feel like i was <laughs> jump roping kicking the pads to the beat uh-huh. of the music but for judo i didn't notice it i guess i guess the volume wasn't so loud that it covered mm-hmm. everything i could still hear people talk which is I'm in Muay Thai place. It was pretty loud, but here, I think it was just like just the right amount of volume where it wasn't distracting me, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I liked, I actually liked it. It Uh kind of gave an atmosphere of, all right, let's train. We're not here to like hang out. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Cause even cause I'm thinking about it. Montage. Gotta get a montage montage. (laughs) Cause during, during open mat, people play music too, but I, I don't know. I just feel like having the music there kind of gave it like atmosphere, you know, kind of like you go to a restaurant and they, mm-hmm. the music they play at a restaurant or a bar or a lounge kind of gives it, gives it a different feeling. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, training judo also did that, but it could have been the music that they were playing too. But well, what kind of music were they playing? Was it like, it was a variety. Pop, I think there was like hip hop, pop, like rock, punk. I think there was some punk in there. I don't remember. I should, mm-hmm. Again, I was, it wasn't so distracting the music. So I, it was just mm-hmm. kind of like background noise, you know, like now people are all listening to that lo-fi YouTube yeah. channel to study yeah, yeah. and work lo-fi in. Lo-fi hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. Like ask, if you ask them, like, what was the song? Like you probably don't remember. It's just some low <laughs> chill. This is background music. Basically <laughs> you would, when you work, you wouldn't blast that, that music like loud when your headphones max volume. So <clears throat> at least I think most people won't, wouldn't. Or just give me an interesting idea. Just next time you practice, I'm play. I'm gonna play uh, some uh, old, um, some old break dancing music <laughs> during Awaza. <laughs> no, it's funny because because to me, when I practice on my own, and some people, some of our own students will know this or not know this when I practice. So when I'm at the dojo by myself, 
I'll listen to music also by myself. Cause I, like, I don't like listening to music when people are there. Cause I don't want to offend nobody with what I'm listening to. Like, Oh, Juan, listen to this song or this yeah. hip hop or that rock or this. So it's like sometimes we in a very poppy mood. I'll listen to a bunch of pop music. Oh, Juan's listening to <laughs> Dual Leafa today. Oh, look at Juan and stuff. But most of the time when I practice, I, I always call it my evil music, my evil time. Because you've come to the time. Well, I, I play classical cello music or either a Spanish guitar or flamenco guitar stuff. Well, I do my own stuff and I do my own like karate katas or my own little workout. And I always call it my evil time because like in movies, what do the bad guys always listen to when they're working out? Classical music. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, like I like cleaning to get classical music. Like if we put on music while we're cleaning, for example, when we have, we should suggest this to to Philippe. Actually, when we have the next dojo cleanup, we should have like mm-hmm. music playing in the background. I think that mm-hmm. would uh, change again, change the atmosphere a little bit, right? Here's actually a funny experiment. When I worked at a grocery store for a while, um, and I worked at a Korean grocery store in Little Tokyo, they played classical music all the time. When it was slow classical music i noticed that people walk slower around the store but when it was faster upbeat like what is that a swarm of the bees is yep. that the name of the song Same, that uh, song yeah i know what you're talking about yeah yeah there's something the bees when that song come on i see people just walk around the store just faster I'm like oh that's how we get them in get them out we play that all day <laughs> even the baggers and the cashiers when that song that's what it was flight of the bumblebee that's what it is yeah yeah, I noticed that I would see people move faster when that song would come I on. I mean, there's stu- they, they're, they have done studies on this, right? Like mall, mm-hmm. like especially shopping malls, they're like, what temperature do we set the AC at? What kind of music do we play to get people to stay there longer and shop, impulse buy stuff more? Like they, mm-hmm. they do all this kind of stuff. So um, we should do a study on music effectiveness, <laughs> how it affects music. judo training. I mean, if you think about it, Eric, when Eric teaches Tayatoshi, for example, mm-hmm. and um, at our dojo, and also some of the online YouTube instructionals of what you see, um, I'm trying to think, I think the Kosei Inoue uh, Uchimata DVD, for example, mm-hmm. when they teach Uchimata, they always tell you to like go to a beat when you do the Uchikomi. It's like, but mm-hmm. bum, but bum. And also they emphasize on the second step. You have mm-hmm. to like stomp as hard as you can. Like that's the yeah. traditional Japanese way of teaching it. It's like ba bum, ba bum, and form a tempo when you do it. So it's like, why don't you just play music that's like <laughs> at that beat? I'm gonna, that, I'm, what's what is it? I'm gonna play a uh, reggaeton. What's the reggaeton beat? So I play reggaeton in the background. <laughs> yeah. So I mean. I think once you're more advanced, you kind of have a have a rhythm going, right? But then, if for the newer people, it might help to have music or some sort of beat in the background when you're like the like the steps, just following mm-hmm. that tempo. So mm-hmm. that's a good theory. It's something to think about. So you tried it. Maybe we should try it one day at class. But I'm always just worried that somebody like, oh, I don't like that song or that song, yeah. blah blah blah. This or oh, did you hear they said one curse word in there? They Everybody said likes there's just pick songs with no lyrics so <laughs> as i said that's why i listen that's why i listen to classical music half the time when i'm at the yeah. dojo i don't want to offend nobody don't bother me to my evil time all right <laughs> i got my evil cello in the background playing <laughs> yeah. so that was pretty interesting so those are the last two experiences we talked about you go visiting brucey's grave we talked about you training with music for the first time at judo dojo mm-hmm. and stuff but like i said before i've done at wrestling and catch school does it but you don't see it a lot at judo clubs was there anything else when I get out before we move on? Anything else no, back I, out, out there? I, I think that was it. It was it was just the trip overall. So there's so much stuff to cover, and it's uh-huh. easy that um, that episode is really long already. So let's just like get that. Yeah. <laughs> that was like almost a two-hour episode. Yeah, of everything. So all right, so let's go on to our main topic, I guess, for today. Um, so some of you may have seen or may have not seen if you follow my Instagram or stuff. So. I went to a kata clinic and some people might be like, what do you mean a kata clinic? And it's like, yes, judo has kata. The thing about judo is that we don't implement our kata until you get your black belt or when you're going to get your black belt. Some clubs change. Some clubs will start like at brown belt. You learn your katas and stuff, but you really don't need to learn or do them and get certified or get certificates until you're a black belt. Unlike if you do karate, taekwondo, other forms of more um, what they call like traditional martial arts, you'll, for every, like from white belt, you start learning katas. You got kata for your white belt, yellow belt, orange belt. All the way up, you learn one kata or two katas in there. But in judo, we only have katas for black belt. 
but like I said, I have a little caveat there. Some schools have you start off as brown belt or will allow you to start learning katas when you're brown belt. Now in judo, I had it written down right here. How many katas are there? Are well, the caveat it's, it's in the U.S., right? Because I know in Europe, some places they when you to get your sankyu, you have to do like the first set of uh, the nagino kata in yeah, the uke side or the tori side. I don't remember. And then as you yeah. go up, you have to add, do more and more. I was going to talk about that, but so in judo we have um, what is the list right here? Seven main katas that you have to learn how to do. Now, the first one Anthony talked about was Naginokata. Now, most of us that we all get our black belts all have to do Naginokata. The things that change is that some dojos in the US will have you do the, will have you, will, they'll have you be the one being thrown as a brown belt. Mm -hmm. And you only have to do the first three sets. So in Naginokata, there's five sets of five moves. And it's to show that, you know, the basic throws in judo. If you can do all these sets and all these throws, that shows that you know the basis of judo, that you can throw decently from left and right side, not just one side, left and right side. And you know how to fall and you know how to beat and you know how to throw people with all the basics. So back in the day, back a long, long time ago, back when I was a brown belt and I was trying to get my black belt, the rule in the... The way they did in the U.S. was that if you're a competitor and you had competition points, you only had to do the first three sets. You didn't have to do the full set. You just had to do the first three sets. But when you wanted to get to your second dawn, you had to complete the entire set. You had to do the entire uh, five sets. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was the year I got my brown belt. I mean, the year I got my black belt when I was going through the paperwork, they changed it. It was like, no matter what, you have to do the entire set which kind of messed me up because I was just practicing the first three <laughs> sets with me and Eric. We were just practicing the first three sets for like six months, nine months to get it perfect because our kata instructor, B, she was super strict about everything. Everything was like, it had to be super clean, super nice, no mess ups, no failing, no movements, no over fault throws or nothing. It had to be clean, nice. So what we did, so from my experience, what we did, we said to learn all the entire kata then. We had to go to a kata clinic Went to the clinic, we practiced it all day. And then at the end, we performed it. So if you perform it nicely, you get certification, you get your certification, but you get your certificate showing you've demonstrated you, that you're decent at it. And you put that into your little folder with all your paperwork and you mail that in to get your black belt. Now, Anthony, to get his black belt, he only performed it in front of the dojo itself. He performed it in front of three instructors. He did a very good job. He did it with my friend Matt. They did an amazing job. But Anthony only did the throwing part. I'm like, oh, well, I did the throwing part. <laughs> I did I did the uke part uh when I was a brown belt. So yeah, but I didn't see it. I I didn't see it. I don't You're the one you. who were you were the one who were teaching us. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm blind. <laughs> Legit legitimately so, the uke part was harder, I think. Like yeah. Yeah. It's just the throwing part was hard because of my knee. That was the, mm -hmm. that's what made it kind of hard too. So. Mm -hmm. So that's your, so that's your first Don one. And then your second Don test, you have to do, what is it? Katamino uh, Kata. And Katamino Kata is all Newaza Kata. So that shows that, okay, you're second, you're going for a second Don now. Okay, you should know how to throw. Now you should have mastered your Nawaza stuff. You should know all your groundwork, how to do arm bars, chokes, pins, the old school leg. That's where the old school leg locks come back into play there because there's uh, two, is there two or one leg lock in there? I think there was just one. This is just, just Ashigarami, right? Yeah, it's just a foot sweep in the yeah. arm. Because, okay, yeah, it's just a foot sweep into the leg, into the leg lock and stuff, into leg um, entanglement. But that's where the leg locks come back into judo. Now to get your third don, you have to perform again. Like you have to do these stuff, you have to get performance from your instructor, or you can go to cut the clinic, get your certification. And you get your certification, your certificate, you really don't have to do it again. You do have to like teach it to people and stuff. But once you get that certificate showing you've done it, you're good. You're you're clean. You're you're all right. Where if you don't get certification, you don't get certificate, you may have to perform the kata again to show that you know it. That's why I always tell people. Get your certificate if you can, because that's with you for life. You don't have to do the kata again. So the other weekend, I so when I got my third dawn, I demonstrated like a very light demonstration of Juno kata. Juno kata is your third kata. That's the balance kata. Anthony always thinks Juno kata should be taught as a white belt since it is the balance kata. Is that what but you after, did for your third dawn? Juno kata? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
So you do Juno Kata. And that's where I got my I got my certificate finally in it. And it was me and my friend Matt. We went to the class. Oh, that's we, not for your third don though. No, no. Uh you're are you thinking about like fourth don kata? Which yeah, kata I are you the, thinking about? I, I thought the Juno Kata was required for fourth don. And I thought for your third don you did something else. No, no, no. It's uh it's Juno Kata, then you're for your fourth don. Well, at least I go through um the USA USA judo system. Yeah. And for fourth dawn, I have to perform or get certification for um Goshin Jitsu. Goshin Jitsu. Okay. Yeah, Goshin Jitsu. Yeah. Okay. And this may change for other countries and stuff. Countries may have different formats of how you have to do things. And I'm just doing like a little rundown before I talk about stuff individually. But for me, like so I performed it very lightly before demonstrating what it is, but this one's like very in-depth. It was a full cut that class. We did the full thing, the full movements, the spin around, all the stuff, the pickups that come down, the hand claps, if you know what yeah. I mean. <laughs> so it's very interesting doing this, like being really tight and clean with it to get to get my certificate. And the one I was actually gonna take before, which was like a month before that, since I am. In a few years, I'm not saying like next year or like in two years from now, but maybe in about maybe three years or four years, who knows how long it's going to take. I will have to do um, <laughs> Goshen Jitsu. Yep. And Goshen Jitsu is when you start going into weapons. Goshen Jitsu has the bow staff, the dagger, and the gun. And yes, we have a gun kata in <laughs> judo. And there's some funny ways that I'm supposed to disarm you holding it. Like there's this really one where the guy has a gun to your back. You entangle the arm pretty much like a standing Kimura with one hand and you pull him back down. And I was like, there ain't no way that's going to work. I love judo, yep. but there ain't no way that's going to work. And then you get later, then you get to more higher rank ones. Like there's the, I believe it's uh, Kimi no kata. I believe it's sword and dagger and uh i said uh koshi it's a tsuno kata i think the other one was it's tsuno kata that's the that's the full balance one that's the one where you see them always with their hands out and they're waving at each other and they come in forms of five yeah yeah that's supposed to be the movement of the world and the universe spinning together and using balance to pull each other over yeah, and then there's a, if I remember correctly, that kata, uh, Itsutsu no kata, actually was was something that he took from um, Tenjin Shinyo Ryu Jiu Jitsu. It's like mm-hmm. it, before the Kodokan was set up, so um, Kano took it from a different school that form. Yeah. yeah. So those are the katas, and so I hope I think I went over all of them because that's all seven of them, I believe. But yeah, as you get higher, you have to do different things, and yes, we have weapons ones about how to. Uh, how to evade a dagger, how to evade a gun, how to evade the sword, how to evade the dagger again. There's ground ones that are more like for the more advanced ones when it's just um, sword and dagger. I believe it's mostly on your knees and stays a position because mm-hmm. it has to do a lot of with the samurai stuff, like how a samurai would stop an attack and defend an attack. Yeah, because uh, it's kind of like how Aikido a lot there they have like seated techniques like from seiza because during the presence of an emperor you're not supposed to stand up so mm-hmm. they have to do all the techniques from kneeling basically yeah yeah ah oh, you attacked me for the emperor i can't stand so head to from a kneeling position yeah. there was a time <laughs> so those are the main kata there's seven of them and as you get higher in the judo you have to learn usually one kata per belt so let's go back down to the first kata okay so let's go back to nagino kata now, like I was saying, in some place in Europe, like I know I have some French friends, some players that come from France, when they get their black belt, they didn't have to perform the whole kata, no matter if they had uh, points or not. What their thing was that they had to do the first three as uke and tori. They do both parts, uke and tori, that's the thrower and the throwee, both parts. But then when you get to your second dawn, you have to perform the whole kata. Now, I don't know if you have to perform, perform the whole kata. Well, knock my shirt over almost. I don't know if you have to perform the whole kata and, uh, was it, uh, what's the next one? Katame no kata? I don't know if you do katame no kata and the whole nagi no kata or just perform all of nagi no kata. I'm not sure. Anthony, do you have any I, I, I have no idea. I, I always thought katame no kata was nidan, always nidan across the board, usually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you maybe you have to perform the, like I said, you have to perform the whole thing and Kami no Kata. Yeah. Like I know some places here in the U.S., 
like one of the places out here, uh, Sautel, I believe, to get your brown belt, you have to do the first three sets of of uh, Naito yeah. Nokata, right? I don't think so, but I think they started teaching their brown belts pretty early yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's kind of a weird thing, too. Like I was at this Kata clinic and I'm doing a third Don Kata. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I can't remember. I think this is where you get confused in the Kata names. It's a funny <laughs> thing. It's always no Kata. So I'm like, oh, so yeah. no, I don't have to do Kata. No, no kata. is like it. of, it's like saying of, <laughs> like the forms, yeah. like the grab, the self defense <laughs> form of grappling or. The, the mm. form of like something of gun, like <laughs> gun self-defense, like gun self-defense. So yeah. when I went to the Juno Kata clinic, there were two brown belts there, which is rare because most of the Kata clinics I've been to only has black belts. Mm-hmm. So to go to this Kata clinic, that's for third Don Kata and I see two brown belts there was a little surprising. But I guess that if you're not going to be, a, if you know, I'm not going to be a heavy competitor. All right. I'm going to be a kata guy. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a kata guy. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Some people might give you shit or talk like, oh, you don't fight or you don't get on the mat. It's like, I know we all think of that way, but you don't have to. So if you want, if you know, I'm going to be a kata guy and you want to start a brown belt, get it done. Why not? Get it started. All right. And I heard there was some, also some brown belts at the Goshen Jitsu uh, the Goshen Jitsu Kata Clinic. Yeah. But Goshen Jitsu is actually pretty complicated, I hear. I've never done it. I've only watched, I've never done it at all. So I was hearing that they were having a hard time with that. It's pretty hard, so, I think. Um, yeah. The Gardena Judo out here by me, uh, I think once a month on Saturdays, they, they used to host it before COVID. I've been meaning mm-hmm. to go, but we haven't been able to. Um, also, Bridgetown Judo, which I visited on Tuesday mornings, I think they ha- they once a week they hold kata classes. Mm-hmm. So more and more places are just there are places that just teach kata to everyone, like even white belts. If you want to learn kata as a white belt, it's not necessarily like a high rank like judo thing, which is good because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about it. But I think judo kata should be was uh, a beginner kata it was meant to <laughs> you're meant to teach beginners that kata not so let's just, just go to because I, I know it's a big thing for you and everyone sees juno kata and they think oh it's just you come here you lean back you slap your leg you come back yeah. you twirl around you lean back again you slap your leg you come back you twirl around together then he picks you up for the throw then you slap your hands and you come back down and it is the balance cut that it is a cut that's supposed to be like for your third dawn. Now, okay, so you know how to do all the throws. Okay, you know the basics and throws. Okay, now you know all the basis of Nawaza. You can do arm bars from five different positions. You can do five different chokes. You can do uh, leg locks and sweeps and stuff. You know the basics of Nawaza. So now let's see how good your balance is. You know, so it's your mm-hmm. third dawn now. Let's see how good your balance is and foot movement. And that's one thing I noticed when I actually being taught i'm not saying like properly properly but being like really um having some kata masters there watching me and telling me what i'm doing wrong really critiquing me how much that how difficult but how intricate the footwork is the hand movement is the balance of be holding a person well, when, when you stiff. shift your weight yeah yeah keeping yourself stiff where when your partner lifts you up they want that high arch and it's the one where you know you see the videos they pick the person up very slowly and they bring their own legs up high into the air and then you come back down controlled so it kind of opened my eyes because i did it before it's like okay yeah i know this part i know this part i'll come in here but it's really different and so anthony tell people why you think because okay give a little history of juno kata please so as far as i know Juno Kata was invented by Jigoro Kano when the Kodokan grew so much that he can no longer supervise all the beginners. Um, he can't go to everyone and teach them from the beginning, right? So he created a Kata for them to practice, which is why it can, uh, has no uh, actual throwing or falling involved. That's why people look at it as like, why is it? look so stupid because you clap because the, <laughs> the in-air clap is kind of like tapping in the air yeah and you get put back down slowly and that way it's a safe way for beginners to learn how to like you said balance how to shift your weight how to be a good uke because if you're a terrible uke like you're just like a what 
noodle, then you can't do it. And if you're too stiff, it doesn't work either. And you got to be stiff at the right time, like you said. So it teaches all these beginner concepts to beginners without having to have them fall. Because not that you shouldn't teach them how to fall, but at the same time, it takes time to build up how to learn how to fall. Because as we know, we've taught some people for months and they're still not that great at falling. It just takes mm-hmm. time. So this is a good way to introduce people to, to throws and the mechanics of um, judo safely. And that's why it's a beginner kata because it was meant to be taught to beginners. And um, other than what you said about, like we said, balance, when to stiffen up, when to shift your weight between your feet and stuff like that. Um, a lot, uh, this is a lot of people ask me this all the time. It's like, what do you mean by don't bump? Like if you don't, uh, when we teach Ogoshi or any hip throws, you know how some people just bump their hip up to pop yeah, the I, person I, up. I had to, ex- I had to yeah. explain some people this weekend of like, of, uh, why don't I pop my hips backwards on somebody yeah. and I tell them like, Oh, cause you pop your hips backwards. Where's their body going to go away from you? Yeah. You so tight up and over. Usually you would have to explain, you need to like bend your knees, pull them on top of your back to break their posture, their balance, kuzushi, whatever. And then you kind of do like a lever effect, like a prying effect with your hips and your, your hands and stuff while pulling tight. Um, you can explain it, but they won't get it. Most people wouldn't get it and it would still go back to popping. And there's yeah. actually an exercise that I have them do that has them fe- be able to feel the right way and the wrong way of doing that movement for hip throws. But that concept is built into the Juno Kata. Like if you look at the second set, the um, Kata Te Dori, which is um, the guy thrust you with one hand, I think it was, and then you mm-hmm. catch it and then you hug their back and do an Ogoshi. The way that they do that movement shows how the correct hip and hand and feet bending your knees movement works. There's no popping because you're doing it so slow. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, so, that was one of the one things where, uh, where Matt's the next day is like, oh, my knees are swollen. My back hurts. Because when we did it before, it was kind of like, this, like, yeah, we move straight and stuff and try to keep it straight. But when we're doing the kata for the, for the instructors, it was like, mm-hmm. keep your knees locked straight just move your back. And it's like, it's all a counter. It's always funny. It's one thing about Kata. I'm going to tell you, it is super counterintuitive to how we teach and how we learn. Yep. Cause like you're taught to do it one way your entire life. And now you have to do it this really formal, proper yep. way. That is the most wrong way to do stuff. <laughs> so it's like, okay, keep your legs, keep your legs straight, but keep, only bend at your waist to pick them up. So he's trying to bend at his waist to yep. pick me up. I'm trying to, and I'm trying to help him by posting my hand. Like I'm supposed to, instead of to lift up. It's well, a crazy thing. It's supposed to do with control. Yeah. With control. Pick me up with control. Put me down with control. But, so I'm I I'm not like an expert at it, but from what I interpret from watching it is if you do it right, you shouldn't have to bend your knees that much. And mm-hmm. that that is uh true too for most hip techniques when we do judo. When you start doing moving uchikomis, like moving throws, when you add movement to it, you don't really have to bend your knees that much. It's only when you do stationary starting learning that you have to bend your knees a lot. And that's one of the reasons why people think you pop them up because you, you bend your knees so much. But if you look at the Juno Kata, that, that set that I told you about that, mm-hmm. um, Kata Tedori, there's not much knee bending. And then also it teaches the Uke how they should behave when they're being thrown like this. Cause you don't see people stepping around because you know a lot of beginners they step around when people come yeah. in for a turn throw. Oh, so yeah. it, to- it shows them how they should behave properly and how stiff they should be, right? Mm-hmm. So there's value in kata, and this kata should be taught uh, to beginners, and in, in my opinion, maybe not the whole set, but maybe you can pick and choose parts of it, like the mm-hmm. that section of the kata tedori. You can use it to teach ogoshi. Or some of the other ones, there's like, a, there's Ukigoshi in there, I think, too. Like, um, and then there's like Iponse and Nagia. There's all these other stuff that you can use in the kata to teach people. Nagi no kata, the same principle. Like, I think the Uchimata form in the Nagi no kata helped me sh- understand Uchimata so much more differently that, than mm-hmm. your traditional traditional style that you see on the Kodokan YouTube channel. Like that is just way too much stuff for people to interpret and understand at once versus the Ushimata 
into Nagi no Kata was just like a turning circular motion. And then the, the Ashiwaza is clearly not much hip involved. I think that is the first one that people should learn, in my opinion. So it's funny because you brought that up. And I know you always say this about Juno Kata that it should be taught to beginners. I brought that up to one of the instructors when during the lunch break, I talked to mm-hmm. him about how, like, yeah, one of my friends was saying, you know, this should be a beginner's kata, it's supposed to be a beginner's kata. And he was just, he was a little bit not really like adamant about like, no, no, it's not just like, well, Juno Kata is very complicated. It's very hard to teach. So I don't really think that it should be for beginners. And I don't know if that's just him being like, no, this is a black belt thing or no, this is for third dons only because there were some brown belts there or like this for third brown dons only. But I think maybe it's the thing of, um, so what they're they, saying is they, it, what they're saying is Jigoro Kano is wrong. <laughs> like, it's it's I want to say it's like the dogma of judo nowadays. You know, it's like no, yeah. this is how it's done now. This is how we're doing it. But I totally can understand how there's certain lifts and throws that we could teach people this. And you don't know what? Yeah, maybe like guess, me, maybe, we might do an experiment and teach these people on Friday. I mean, no, yeah. Saturday. I mean, like I said, maybe it's true. Like teaching it to the level because. Kata is used as a competition now. So they like corrected mm-hmm. to the minute thing, like really yeah, minute. Like things. It was like, it was eye opening when I went there and they're telling me what to do. It's like, I've, I was like, yeah, I've kind of walked through, I've walked through before. I know what I'm doing and stuff, but they're like, no, no one, you have to step this way, move your hip here straight as possible. Like one big thing that I didn't notice that I was doing is that you do that karate. This is where the judo mm-hmm. chop comes from. I believe, I believe this is where judo chop comes from because all the things you're supposed to use your hand as if it's the sword or the knife mm-hmm. and your thumb has to be tight to your hand the entire time. Okay. And sometimes so- you're not thinking <laughs> and you're going to put your thumb out like you're hitchhiking and you're like thumb. Like, oh, okay. Thumb. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so think about it in beginner's context. Does that thumb really matter? It absolutely matters. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Like they're that's one doing, tenth of a point off. They're saying it's really hard to learn at a competition, like top skill level kind of thing. But I think mm. teaching the basic mechanics, even if they do it wrong, has value in it. Is what I'm saying. Like mm. same thing. Same thing when it comes to teaching the throws. Like when we teach ogoshi, people often don't bend their knees enough, but don't and don't um, pull their sleeve enough, right? Mm-hmm. So does that mean we just don't teach Ogoshi because it's too hard? Like, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> well, Ogoshi was the first throws you learn. So no, we have to teach Ogoshi. So it's, <laughs> it, it, the logic doesn't apply. It's like, if there's value in teaching the mechanics, then you should do it. Same thing with, I'm going to go back to Nagino Kata because that's the one I'm most familiar with. Since I haven't, mm. I was going to go to that clinic, but I couldn't. People, the first throw, uh, Ukiyotoshi, right? Mm-hmm. That throw makes me understand how certain throws should be done. Like Taiyotoshi is basically a Ukiyotoshi, but you, for for the uke, you're basically mm-hmm. falling at a corner and that arm dragging movement just makes so much. I, I don't know how to explain it that well, but that mechanic applies to so much of the other throws out there. And you, you if you look at it at first, when I was a white belt and looked at it, I'm like, oh, that guy's falling for him. He's just jumping into it, which is kind of true at a competition. Yeah. Well, extent, you're allowing him to throw you. I'm not you're allowing him. Well, sometimes, but yeah. not all the time. <laughs> so at the, when I was a white belt, I just looked at it. And I was like, that's stupid. Why? Well, no, we never see that throwing competition, mm-hmm. but then you do see that throwing some competition. Sometimes it just looks different. Yeah. Especially Sumi Yatoshi. There are Sumi Yatoshi that happens in uh, competition, but it's not in the kata, but it's the same mechanic. Right. Mm-hmm. But when I took the fall as an uke and I felt someone drag me that at that corner, I'm like, Oh, I'm being off balance that way. And I have to like go with it, or I'm going to have to like backstep or do something weird to stop, stop the throw. So there's value in learning stuff like that, even though it's not used in competition. And if I never, if I learned it as a white belt, I think I would have appreciated and learned all that stuff earlier versus waiting until I was a Brown belt to, learned that i thought it was like a huge disservice to to myself actually i kind of wish really? i learned as a white belt basically See, that's interesting to me because that's one of the things where i didn't know judo had katas when i first started doing judo i thought judo was just fighting and going to practice throwing people going to tournaments going to practice that's one of the things i loved about it because growing up like so growing up doing tonks and taekwondo we did katas, but we didn't do katas all the time. It was like one of the things where we would, we had this one instructor that was a super kata guy. He was very strict on katas. That was his whole thing. 
but he wouldn't teach all the time. He'd only teach like maybe once or twice a month. So I would only do katas once or twice a month. And you get told, okay, Juan, for your red belt test, you have to, you have to do this. Or uh, I like an easy kichikam to ibu or nambu or something like that. Mm-hmm. Have to do one of those katas. It's like, I don't know these katas. I don't practice enough these katas. We're a fighting school. We like to fight a lot. So I always, so I grew up just not liking kata because it's always one of my weakest parts of my game. We rarely practiced it. We rarely redid them, but I knew they're going to be a big part of my test, which wasn't fair. <laughs> so that's why I had to, and this is back in the day, like this is back in the day where you'd have to like re, uh, buy a, a kata movie or like mm-hmm. a VHS tape and kata movie and stuff and watch at home or you get the old book. Oh man, you get the old book and you like go through the book. Okay. One step hand down step forward what's the next step okay step forward here and stuff or a low block here and then you do wishy-washy with the hands and stuff like that and it's hard to read that where i think nowadays with youtube and stuff it's much more easier to look up a cut than and watch what you need to do but that was my thing that i hated the most so when i got to judo and i always got to my brown belt and they're like okay one a few years you're gonna get your black belt you need to start thinking about doing nagino kata maybe and i'm like kata what is it what is kata what is this kata you speak of it was no kata this is an oxymoron here nagi no kata so you're telling me to do no kata already you're already you're already lying to me <laughs> but yeah it's tough and this is something i think that's why i think when i teach class sometimes i'll teach little formal things right now and then and i'll tell them oh this is for the kata if you guys are the black belt you guys need to do it this way for kata and stuff and i'll show it and you've been there and stuff i'll show it like really kata style for fun to let people know because yeah when i was my brown belt and they're like oh yeah why don't you start thinking about nagino kata i'm like nagino what kata <laughs> this is judo we throw we go to competitions we fight so <laughs> A really good example I like to use on the value of Takata was um, so I was never really a Tayatoshi user throughout my most of my brown belt career, whatever. Like I was, it was never really my throw. I was always Sasai, Osotogari, and Ochigari. Those are my main throws. But when I went to Japan and I visited a dojo, he was the sensei was teaching Tayatoshi. And I showed my Tayatoshi. He's like, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And he showed me how to do it. And then I was like, oh, so it's kind of like, like I mentioned before, Sumiyotoshi, but you're facing the other way. Like instead of mm-hmm. facing, instead of going backwards, you're going forward. And then for the uke, the uke is falling like Ukiyotoshi in the Naginokata. He's like, exactly. That's it. So once I got back to America, I started doing more research on it. And that's when I was like doing the um, kata more. And also I looked up Tokyo Hirano for those mm. who don't know. Like, yep. That's yeah, really all. That's yeah. where Hollywood Judo gets our Taitoshi from. So look at Tokyo Hirano on YouTube. Like, I think it's not exactly black and white, but it's a very grainy picture of him teaching Taitoshi. And he did it exactly that way. Because most mm-hmm. people think of Taitoshi as that uh, spread your legs out and then use your, your right leg, well, if you're right hand, use your right leg to block the leg and then pull, block the leg and then pull them over. Mm-hmm. And I always saw that as like, oh, let me just kick my leg across and pull them over, like block the leg, right? And most beginners think that too. But if you look at Tokyo Hirano, he does a version of it to demonstrate the exact mechanic I was talking about where you throw the uke to the front corner and there's no leg blocking involved at all. That led me to remember the book I sent, the old book I sent you that predates the Kodokan book. There's a yeah, picture yeah. of like, this is like the first <laughs> judo book, basically. There's a picture of um, what Tayatoshi looked like back in the day. There was yeah. no leg blocking at all. There was no leg blocking. You're throwing, just throwing them to the corner. I showed Philippe and then Philippe was like, well, thank God we improved on that. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, well, it's funny you say that story because it's a story that, and this is go back to when I did the Kata Clinic for Monogano Kata, mm-hmm. when they demonstrated it. I can't remember which instructor it was, but they're telling the story about like how, the, and it's funny, it's Taitoshi of all things. Yeah. Taitoshi was invented because um, Jigoro Kano, his favorite throw was like Uki, Ukiyotoshi or Ukigoshi. Ukigoshi is like his Ukigoshi, favorite yeah. Was his favorite throw. But one of his students, Caught on to it. It's not, it was like, you're, th- you're thinking of Harai Goshi. Was it? That's no, no, because 
No, no, because he started putting out the leg. He put that's out the leg. I, that's, and that's how, like I, that's how, I, that's how, how I, I go shoot. Was it how I go shoot? Yeah. All right, whatever. But it's like funny because how things get evolved and how things yep. change. It's like, okay, ah, he got my throw. What do I have to do to improve this? I'm going to kick my leg out. Boom! He's over. So the main thing, the Otoshi part of Tayotoshi is body drop, right? Tayotoshi is body drop. What, and people are like, yeah, you're... Like when I was wiped out, people were like, you dropped the other guy. So it's a body drop. I'm like, well, technically, you technically you're dropping everyone in judo and every throw, <laughs> but you're actually dropping your own center of gravity to bring them off balance. And then the splitting of the legs, like kicking your leg out, that's a way mm-hmm. of get lowering your center of gravity. And um, you also widen your base. So you're more um, stable. Mm-hmm. But the leg block, I'm pretty sure it came afterwards. I don't know. Maybe someone who's a judo scholar can look it up. But it came afterwards. Blocking the leg was like a sweet spot, like a a sweet spot. And when we were teaching beginners Tai Toshi, they kept blocking and kicking people's knee. At, and I think it's because they think of it as a leg block. When I tell them, don't think of it as a leg block. The leg block is like a, a cherry on top. Like... Think of it as dropping your weight first. Once you get that and the hand pulling correctly, then add the leg block in. And then that I found a lot more success in teaching people when you uh, explain it like that. But without the kata, I would have never have understood it that way. And I didn't mention it, but after after I understood it as that way, I started hitting Kayatoshi like crazy on people. Like Okay. <laughs> so that's one of the good things about the kata also like when you do nagi no kata or like how you do juno kata or you do kimi no kata you start dissecting stuff of like where does it come from how's it done and mm-hmm. it's like i did say before like you're we do things kind of wrong to do it right in a kata but it's like mm-hmm. demonstrating like how it came about like why we do it this way dissecting it and it might improve stuff might help you out figure mm-hmm. out things you know like i do agree doing uchimata from um nagi no kata to uchimata i think is a great way of doing uchimata mm-hmm. like, i love that circular version uchimata and stuff because for me like yeah i can get in d- d- dive in d- 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 dive in uchimata mm-hmm. but doing the circle one is just so much more easier for me and it adding that to my repertoire was just like oh yeah this makes so much more sense and even with um when you get to the uh kimi no katas you need the newaza stuff it kind of like refines your newaza you know mm-hmm. it's like okay this is a is a quarter pin right here this is how i get taitoshi nice and tight this is how i get haragoshi nice and tight in person because it is i mean i mean like all the newaza stuff all the all the pins because there's a point where like you hold a person down and they have to try to escape three different mm-hmm. ways. You know, it's like, I, I got to hold them down. Like I got to demonstrate it. So it looks cool. It looks nice and stuff. We're not going hundred percent, but it's like, okay, if my partner fights too much here, I'm going to fall off. So I need to adjust this and you adjust that. And you're going to take that into your own Nawaza work. The same with arm bars where I've, um, I've always known this for a long time, but if I just for like um, where someone's on their back arm bar, I'm going backwards onto them. There's that part where you, where you um i always call them like your fangs like you're like a spider or like um mm-hmm. um a snake or something you bite into them with your legs and at that point you get you bite in and then you come back and when you do that you pop your hips more into their arm area to pop them up to get more leverage and some people don't understand that they just think i get on top of the guy and then i lean backwards <laughs> and that's the arm bar right it's like no no you have to get your hip in there to pop your hip up to get the arm bar and it just reinforced that because there's some people we're well around the school. We do a lot of Nawaza, we do tons of Tachiwaza, but we do everything. But there are some schools out there that don't that barely do any Nawaza. So if you're not a Nawaza person, this forces you to learn how to do arm bars properly, forces you to learn how to do chokes mm-hmm. decently, forces you to learn how to do ashigarami at least one way, you know, which is like, yeah. what's this leg lock? I didn't know judo has leg locks. We do. We have one word for all of it, but we do have leg locks. There's band. You just can't do them. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I actually kind of, it was actually as I got my black belt that I actually kind of connected the dots for me that well, like from, from works for me, that understanding was a lot of people are like, I'm never going to do to throw like the Kata demonstration and Uchimata, for example, like it's really rare. You see that circular Uchimata, mm-hmm. but for me, I went, what really clicked, made a click for me was I stopped seeing as how I'm throwing because I have my own versions of doing Taitoshi and Uchimata, but it's more like, how do I get Uke into that position? 
right before mm-hmm. the split second before the throw happens. How do I get them? And the most common way of us doing it that everyone teaches is combinations, right? Mm-hmm. So Ochigari into Ujimata, right? Or um, for me, it was one of my favorites is Kosoto Gari into Tayatoshi. When I do the Kosoto, they take their step back and then most of the weight goes on their um, front foot and they're leaned over. And that's like the Kata Ukiyotoshi, like getting ready to get thrown into the corner. So that's when I mm-hmm. cut the corner and do Tayatoshi. And then that's, you get that Ukiyotoshi kind of fall. Same thing with uh, Uchimata. It's like when you do the circular, it's like one, two, and then you throw in the third one, but it's kind of like a wave movement, like mm-hmm. kind of like drifting a car where you turn one way, <laughs> then you turn it the other. Um, uh-huh. So how do you get the uke to react in that way? And you, I noticed for my Uchimata to succeed, other than getting them moving, uh, uke moving, I have to use my hands a lot to get their body to tilt to the other side. And when they tilt, that's when I jump in for the Uchimata. And that... Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say what she wants is perfect because as you know, I've been working on that for a long time, but I've been having more successes recently with Uchimata because I started connecting the dots that way. And you remember I sent, I don't know if you were there that Saturday when I sent Tim flying. Like, <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, don't Philippe saw it, like... Philippe saw it, but okay. Tim is like a pretty big guy, but my Uchimata worked on him and that was like a moment where I'm like, okay, this is this understanding is really making Uchimata work for me. And then I went on this trip and I was doing Uchimata on some on a few people. So um for me I'm still got a long way to go. But the kata really, really helped me a lot. And I re- again, I really wish I learned the kata stuff earlier. And mm-hmm. I've been trying to tell the begin like a lot of intermediate students we have at our dojo, like, mm-hmm. you know, you should really learn kata, but they saw it as me like trying to get them to be my kata partner. <laughs> so I'm, I need a throwing dummy. Please come over here. <laughs> it's it's been falling on deaf ears, let's just say. So mm-hmm. um that's kind of why I guess we're doing this episode on kata was like, if you have a chance, go learn kata. Even if you everything like I said doesn't click for you right away down the road you're gonna it's gonna click like trust me you just have to trust it's like a cult right like you don't have to understand how it works just drink the kool-aid please please just drink the you Kool-Aid. you don't have to understand how it works just trust me it, it kind of it works eventually it'll what click pyramid scheme you're trying to tell that's kata pyramid scheme then you teach two people to do kata and then they teach two people to do kata <laughs> no but i think it's somebody keep your eyes it's open up yeah. your eyes to doing things. I was very, I'm not a big kata person, even though I am a kata person. I'm not a big kata person. I mean, like I said, I have this thing of like, I hate katas from when I was a kid, you know? So when I had to learn kata as an adult, I really hated it. But I understand that for me to get higher, higher ranks in judo, I need to get these things done, you know? And that's one of my things that I, for each black belt I get or I want, I have to get that kata done. Either perform it, demonstrate it at a the dojo, at a competition, or go get my certificate. I prefer to get my certificate that way. Just get that piece of paper. And it's like, I'm done. That's all I have to do, but we all have to do it. And I encourage people to go try it out. And like I said, I saw a lot of brown belts at these things. Mm-hmm. If there's a Nagino Kata clinic in your area and you're a brown belt, go try it out. Maybe you're citrus color. Maybe not. It might be a little too much for you, but Hey, this is worth the experience. Okay. What's the worst going to say to you? No. Yeah. <laughs> Kata, I know this is kind of moving on to something else, but Kata also exposes a lot of your weaknesses. I think um, mm-hmm. one example is when we do our belt tests, for example, um, let's say you're testing someone for orange belt and then they had to do Ogoshi or Iponsenagi or Sotogari. A lot of beginners, they would just do it really fast and power through the throw, right? And then yeah. when I say slow down, then it kind of, like their cracks start to show in their technique, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And kata is meant to be done slower than in certain parts, meant to be done slower. Like, for example, kata kuruma, you have to hold uke up for a second and then mm. put him down. It's easy if you just like literally get under them and wheel them over and you don't even have to hold them <laughs> for a second because it ensures you're stepping into the the doing the steps correctly, transferring the weight of your body and your hips properly having a strong structure to hold uke up for a second and then tip them over without falling apart. And that can apply to other throws too. And I, especially big people in judo, when they use strength to uh, make up for technique, I think this forces them to slow down and 
learn all the proper balancing and structure and everything instead of rely on their strength or the throw. And that's why when, when I test or test people for belts, I always are like, you need to do it slower. I, I know you can do it fast. Now can you do it slow? Mm-hmm. So, and <laughs> it's kind of like I, people who Anthony's, list, Anthony's looking to yeah. fail you. All right. That's what I'm just saying. People who, <laughs> people who lift weights all the time would know like isometric holds. If they've never done isometric holds before, that sucks. It's like doing planks. <laughs> like uh-huh. do I can do like a hundred, 200 setups, but then doing planks, I just freaking hate it. Cause <laughs> it's similar concept, how you have, to be able to like hold these positions to show you're doing your, your form correctly and you have control over the whole technique. And that's mm-hmm. another value that Kata provides. That I think um, regular instruction just is kind of lacking therefore. So, <laughs> and this is just us talking about the basics. Like this is just basic. The first three basic Katas we're not getting, we're not really talking about into, like I said, the fourth and fifth Kata mm-hmm. where you have to do, uh, bow staff or a stick defense, dagger defense, gun defense, and then the other cut, and then it's a fifth dawn. No, that's fourth, fifth dawn kata is just is sword defense. And I said that's one's mostly in saves and stuff. So there's interesting things in all these stuff, and you might like think, when am I attacked by a sword? <laughs> you never know. You know, you might be here in LA sometimes. Someone comes out with a machete or something. You might need to use it. You know, yeah, I would use I, the gun stuff though. I would not for use me, that. <laughs> for me, a part of me is like all the value I talked about was like Nagino Kata, Juno Kata, Kasumi Kata. And then when you start yeah. pulling the weapons in, I'm kind of like, hmm, <laughs> maybe this doesn't apply to that. Maybe this yeah. is just stuff that's outdated, like everyone says, but I it don't is. know. Maybe oh, the Kota is keeping it. So they are. I think they're cool at least because I guess maybe because when you get older, because these are usually you're these, these cut these higher, more advanced cut you're doing them when you're older, like forties, fifties and higher and stuff. Usually yeah. so you can't do big throws that much anymore. That's what you gotta do. Like, Oh, I can defend against a bow staff. I can defend against a knife, the dagger, the gun and stuff. I forgot to mention one thing about uh, Kimi no Kata. And one thing that people always ask me about when they, when I start teaching people for the Kimi no Kata, their second on Kata, why do we open up our legs? And I know you might watch a video. They, they you open uh, up and then close it before you move. Yeah. Yeah. You slide, 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 open up your leg, and then you close it. That part right there. And so I had to actually look to figure it out myself. What we're doing when we do that is showing we have no weapons. And now I'm coming back in. I don't have a dagger or knife or sword on me. And then coming back in. That's what that part is supposed to mean. And I think with that will help you out a lot because you think like, oh, I just open my leg, close my leg. No, it's supposed to be a formal thing of like showing I have no weapons on me. Now I'm going to continue into the choke or into the arm bar and stuff. So that's a little side note there for you, a little judo history. So it explains why you do that. But yeah, when you get to the higher, when you get to the higher ones, it is the the circular arms open one. You yeah. know, there's the um the the wave motion ones where you push the person down and stuff like that. It's just there's more advanced techniques and stuff that some might not work. Some will and stuff, but they're interesting. That's what they always give about uh, judo contests. Yeah. They're, they're for the most part based in reality for a reason, you know, mm-hmm. not like in karate or tongsu or taekwondo where I have to, I'm putting my hands up in the air for bare form, bringing my both forearms in right here, come down with a knife hand, rip the, and that's so funny. This, this is an actual uh, tongsu kata put my hand rip uh, knife hand down. Cause I'm going to hit the groin, yep. grab the groin, rip it off the person. Apparently <laughs> come back up, do a pumping. Uh, so it was like a pumping arm up here. And then I think I had to do knife hands after that again, after that, but so go, I go down, rip the groin. Someone attacks me from behind. So I uppercut them with the groin in my hand, apparently still. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the weapon thing, like, again, I don't, I'm not there yet. I never done them. So I don't have mm-hmm. that understanding. Maybe I just haven't connected the dots. Maybe it's useless, but if I don't learn it and nobody explains it to me, how would I know? Right. Yeah. But one, yep. one comparison I like to learn is, you know, I, you know, I trained Wing Chun. I mentioned it many times in the podcast. Really? I yeah. noticed. <laughs> so the Wing Chun's Wing Chun has like a bunch of uh, empty fist form, right? Cause, cause mm-hmm. it's a striking technique. Mostly there are, there is some grappling, but there's also the, the wooden staff, the six and a half point pole. I forgot the English name, six point and a half, pole, the long pole staff form. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the butterfly knives form. 
So Ooh, that sounds fun. you are supposed to master the the fist form before you go into the butterfly knives form because the butterfly knives are basically an extension of your fists. Mm-hmm. So if you know the fist form, then you you're able to use the butterfly knives. So that's kind of what I could see it, like kata in judo be like. It's just that if you're able to stop a a, a thrust with a knife, then you can stop a thrust with like someone who has longer arms than you maybe like if there's a size mm-hmm. difference someone with more reach someone with less reach someone's heavier i don't know that's just my conjecture but <laughs> that's the that's one example of my in my experiences of how weapons come connect to like uh empty what we call empty hand forms right mm-hmm. and um going back to what i said uh the first form of wing chun is called the ceiling tau mm-hmm. everyone look that up it's if you want to look it up just look up ceiling tau on on youtube and you are supposed to do that form for the rest of your life and the whole the whole name ceiling tau actually means little idea and it's supposed to start off as like a little idea and then as you're as you train wing chun it grows like you start connecting all these dots kind of like how I just said i learned naginokata and i start connecting all these dots mm-hmm. as you learn more as you do it more and more and you get more experience with the other forms and fighting experience and everything everything in the form is supposed to expand on your knowledge that's why you keep going back to it as like a focal point where you keep practicing and refining expanding that knowledge and the two or three years that I trained Wing Chun, it was totally true. Cause I'm like, why, why did I, why am I doing this movement? Then I realized, oh, my elbow structure provides a lot more power than if I flared my elbow out for my punches. And then it goes into defense, how I can deflect punches easier if I have my elbow sunken, how mm-hmm. if my legs are in a certain position, I I'm heavier and harder to move and what better balance and all that stuff. So all this stuff happens in other martial arts that have, forms too so there's value in learning these things that a lot of people are just like i don't like to do a pre-arranged dance it's like yeah well it's the whole thing yeah. like with kempo and stuff you know i have friends that do kempo and a lot of people say that kempo katas are fully useless because mm-hmm. they look like dancing too much but i know some badass kempo guys you know that know how to fight it's like they're cut like Kata is supposed to help you learn stuff, refine your movements, and for you kind of, like like I said before, dissect and understand why we do certain things. And the whole reason katas were invented anyway is because you would have one instructor for like 30-some students, Mm -hmm. and the one instructor can't watch. There's no videotaping. Yeah, there's no videotaping back then. So you get how you you pass down techniques. You get a scroll, and the scroll would have a drawing. (laughs) (laughs) You had connected dots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the whole thing about kata also. It's about dissecting the dissecting the movements figuring out how it works and doing it cleanly and properly with nice technique nice form and the whole like i said the whole reason it came before is because you have one teacher for 30 or 40 students in a dojo or in an area or school and this instructor can't be there to help everybody you know just like we, mm-hmm. we've been talking about how this whole time about juno kata kano invented it for the beginners so they learn how to do balance and i totally understand that but after going to this clinic and getting like refined and all stuff i'm like man i don't know how you teach wipe out this stuff well again it doesn't have to be perfect the goal is like <laughs> this is what it's supposed to look like now you try and do it right yeah <laughs> yeah this is what it's supposed to look like now you that's do just it. Yeah. like when we teach any throws it's like this is how it's supposed to look like now you try and do it but they mm-hmm. have to refine it that's just how it is yeah all right. And is there anything else you want to talk about katas or is that it? Yeah. Or? I feel like there was one more thing. One little uh, more thing. One tiny yeah. little morsel. Like you just, you, you interrupted me. So I forgot. Oh, <laughs> uh, look up, look up. You may remember it. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's fine. Like we already talked sure? a lot. So yeah, we can bring All it up right. next time. If anything next time. So like I said before, kata Oh, oh sorry. Stuff. Okay, you sorry. remember? I remember it? now. Okay, yeah. what is it now? No, what no. It? The, it, we're talking about prearranged dances. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. are like, why am I, for example, the kata meno kata, you said open the leg and close it. Like, why do I yeah. need to do that? Why if, okay. So you might be listening to this and be like, okay, I see value in kata, but why am I doing all these movements like open and closing your legs or nagi no kata? Why do I have to go back and fix my belt and turn around at the same time and all that kind of stuff? I think there's like a mental training part of that involved so if you look at beginners learning throws 
they would like forget to bend their knees first or the time to bend their knees, like which movement comes first. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of like how the military makes you make your bed every morning. It kind of forces you to do like discipline and doing a checklist in your head and remember everything in an order. So I think there is value to stuff like that too. It forces you to have to have the mental fortitude and discipline to do everything in order and memorize everything. So mm. that's, uh, that's the last thing I want to say. So, All right. and with that, I'm going to toss in one little, another little morsel for you to think about for judo kata, at least judo kata, judo kata, <laughs> judo kata is supposed to be done technically in full samurai gear. So that's why we are so stiff. That's why we're so like a freaking board. That's why we move so, so um, directly certain things because you're supposed to be imagined that you are in full samurai gear when you do this stuff. And that's one thing that I, the cut the clinics I've been to, they all always say that imagine yourself in uh, full samurai gear when you do your movements. That's why you move this way. That's why we're so stiff. And that's why when you hit, you're supposed to slap the Mac, you should have this also armor on you. So it's to be very heavy. So just kind of imagine that. It's like, again, if you go out and do kata, help yourself out, imagine yourself in the, in the full judo gear and just walk through it. Don't go fast. Don't go so fast. I have one more question. Did, did they All ever, right. did they ever explain to you like why we do certain movements? Like, or did it just, this is how you do it. Do you have to put your weight here. Like, did they explain to you why, why you're doing this? Yes, they explain pretty. There are certain things where they would just do stuff, then they would expect you to do it. But I would ask questions. I again always ask questions. If you have a question, raise your hand, ask a question. All right. I asked a bunch of questions about certain things. Why did you move here? Do you bring your hand here and stuff to help out to pick the person up for stabilization? I asked tons of questions. And whenever I asked a question, they would answer it. There was nothing like, oh, we just do it. They gave me a, usually a pretty good answer for everything I asked. Okay. Because that's one thing that. Me and Matt, we're not scared to ask questions. Yeah. There was other people there that would just be us. okay, do it. And I'd be like, no, no, excuse me, I have a question. So when you come in right here, does your hand come underneath bottom and then up? Like you're trying to, like you're doing like an uppercut with your hand almost. Like, yeah, kind of think of it that way. An uppercut with your hand and they turn you around. And the whole thing about tapping with your foot when you step backwards mm -hmm. and stuff. Like they didn't, they explained the big stuff, but there's little movements that I had questions on. They answered it. So, like I said before, ask questions if you're at one of these things. Don't feel stupid. Just do it. I don't care. I'll ask questions the entire time. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's, All right. Is that oh, it? Yep. All right. I hope this helps you guys out and stuff. Judo does have kata. It's mostly for black belts. But when you're a brown belt, you should start thinking about it. And, and like I said, the two clinks I went to. No, white belt. The listen to them. Start learning when you're white belt. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony wants you to start learning when you're white belt. Anthony wants you to do a third down kata as a white belt too. All right. So that could be pretty fun. <laughs> but like always, please like, share, and subscribe. You can follow me, the Jiro underscore one on Instagram. You follow Anthony, Anthony throws on Instagram. You follow this channel itself on Instagram at the Tommy Talk. You want to follow us on YouTube. You follow us at YouTube at the Tommy Talk. If you have any questions, things you want us to look at, things you want us to do, things you want us to have questions about, as again, always ask questions. Like I said, you can hit us up at, not at, but Tommy Talk at gmail.com. All right, Anthony, is there anything else? Am I forgetting? Nope, we're good. All right. We're good? Yep. All right. Don't forget to slap the mat. All right. <laughs> <laughs>